Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for Living and We Will Win the Day. And you can check out my Amazon African American athletes who made or my Audible African American athletes who made history. It's on Amazon, and the paperback for We Will Win the Day is coming out in March or November. I am struggling too much. Drank. Sorry. <laughs> I'm already Derek started. I'm Derek White, author of the Challenge of Blackness Institute of Black World Political Activism in the 1970s, as well as. Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Jay Gaither, Florida A&M, and the history of black college football. Welcome back, Lou. I see you on the struggle bus. Yeah, struggle. It's that, Je- I, what I got, that Jefferson today. Usually it's Uncle Nearest, but today I just grabbed some Jefferson. That's, that's wrong. Uh, you got the wrong, you got that president that you got you over stuttering so uh, with, uh, with, the, with the nation. I know. That's my bad. That's my bad. But it's good. <laughs> I went to my, um, my first high school game in like 25 years. Um, and it didn't feel awkward. You know, after you go in a high school game, after you're out of high school, it just feels awkward. So I had to stay away for a while. Uh, but I went and because my daughter who's in eighth grade wanted to go and hang out with her friends and it was a mess. And 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 I realized how bad we were when we were in eighth grade, just walking around like we owned the place because it was like it's a high school game. But it's a gang of junior hires, just no parents around, just acting, <laughs> acting a fool. And, and luckily, my daughter's shy and doesn't do that stuff. But. I was like, okay, I got my eye on you, and I see what friends you're not hanging, what what group of friends you're not hanging out with. So that's why I went. But that's you know, that's funny. I went to a high school football game like two weeks ago, and uh, watched my my old high school play a locals team that did not exist when I was in high school. Wow! Uh, to watch this is this is now I'm officially old to watch my former classmate's son. Uh, play for this other team uh, and he had just verbal to Kentucky, the University of Kentucky earlier in the week and so I was like, oh, this is a great game big city matchup, etc, etc saw some old classmates it was a good time, but again, I saw all those high school kids running around like they owned the place, and I have never felt older in my life, you know what I mean like it was the, it was like it was crazy, it was crazy in terms of uh uh, you know, just watching the way we used to act when we were that age, you know, it's, it's weird out of body experience. Uh, right. And, and, lost yeah. too, by the way, that's, uh, that's, you know, he's, I, I believe that, but you don't play good f- football in Kentucky anyway, but wow, uh, shots, uh, fired. shots fired. And I just shots try to fired. smooth past that. I try to, <laughs> I try to smooth past that, but yeah, the kids don't care that you're there either. Right. Like, it's just like, we're in our own world running around, about to start a fight and i'm like there's police right there and it's just like your eighth graders what are you you know why are you guys doing this like like what's going right. on they don't watch the game you know maybe that's my age too i'm just like, i just want to you know popcorn and a soda and just sit there <laughs> and watch uh but i can't because there's all these little kids running around um but you know where they do play great high school football florida ohio i was gonna say ohio or florida uh, and img okay. but ohio yeah and okay. bishop sycamore Bishop Sycamore, this is a for those who listen to our podcast but somehow miss all the sports news. Uh, Bishop Sycamore played IMG, and IMG for those who do, are not aware, IMG started out as a tennis academy for people like Andre Agassi. So it was a place where uh, when Andre Agassi was a junior player, he went down to Florida. It has eventually evolved into a high school with probably the best high school football team in the country right and one of the things that they're able to do is they are um, they encourage uh, high-ranking players from all over the country to transfer to their school in some ways they're like if if this was basketball they're a lot like oak hill used to be for basketball except for they don't have post-grads right Um, oak hill used to have post guys guys who graduate from high school so img has got you know on any given roster on their on their A team, they have two squads, by the way. On their A team, they've got, you know, six top 100 players, probably 20 top, you know, top 250 players, et cetera. This is a powerful, powerful team. 
and they played on national TV on the opening weekend, which ESPN likes to show a lot of high school games. They played against a team called Bishop Sycamore. And Bishop Sycamore was ba- located in uh, Ohio. Uh, and it, too, uh, at least presented itself as <laughs> it presented itself as the um, uh, IMG of Ohio. It was not. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, and, and I can't. I can't figure out the end game for them. So if you don't know what we said, it is not, it's not a real school. It's not real high school. From what we can tell, it's not real high school players. It's not a real school. So I don't know the end game, right? I don't know how you tell these kids. Yeah. We're going to get college scholarships if they're not in school, right? There's no, I mean, you actually have to have (laughs) grades. You have to take, you know, take exams. You have to have grades and you have to be able to pass all these things. And, and, for some reason, all these kids signed up and, and right. To me, it speaks to a few things. One, how out of control youth sports is, right. Even the, the idea that there's an IMG Academy, right. Like yes. I get that people want to get better for a better opportunity, but you don't need an IMG Academy. You could just stay home and work. Like I always tell people, you know, Walter Payton ran up hills and we'll get into Walter Payton later, right? Like you don't need all of this extra training, um, you need to work out, you need to train, but you don't have to go to a fake facility or out here in Michigan, you know, you know, Imani Bates, who, who a couple of years ago was the top high school player is probably still the top high school. Now he's supposed to be a senior in high school. He reclassified and, and magically graduated. Now he's going to Memphis, but last <laughs> year they just created a school for him. Like they pulled him out of his school. His dad created a, a school. It's just a basketball school. And it's just like, what are you guys doing? Like, like, this is not the purpose of youth sports, but I, I think the idea of being seen, getting a college scholarship has become the end game for so many. They're willing to do this stuff, right? And that's how you have a, a Bishop, Bishop Sycamore because it doesn't exist by itself. It exists because there's IMGs. It exists because there's what are the, the Imani Bates Academy or whatever that school in Napa is. And there's right? new Where, school. There's tons of right. new schools, right? There's like all Bishop kinds Gor- of schools like that. Yeah. You know, Bishop Gorman just is a, is a fairly recent power out of Las Vegas that has popped up. Um, all we right. Talked to, we talked about Oak Hill, you know, it used to be the purview of only for basketball, um, those post-grads, right? So Maine central, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when Maine central, they sent like three guys to Maryland. Um, and you That's would right. see, um, you know, where they need that fifth year in high school, right? Right, where they just need a year to get the SAT score. Because this is when you had Prop 48, right? So part of it was like, do I just go to Maine Central, play high competitive basketball, or Oak Hill, play high competitive basketball for a year, get my test scores up, and then be immediately eligible, play another two years in college, and then I'm out, right? That's right. the plan, or a year. Um, this is before we had one and done was part of the kind of normative lexicon. Um, but yeah, now we're you see this translating into football, and I and I and I agree with you. Youth sports is completely out of control, man. It is. Um, there was a story about how uh, I was reading this in about the DC private school league about how all these parents are spending, you know, like hundreds of thousands of dollars on camps and trainers and all this stuff so they could get a scholarship, and I'm like. I hope it, I, you know, I guess, you know, because right. school, like in-state tuition at Maryland ain't going to cost you $100,000 for four <laughs> years, right? Like, like you know what I mean? Like, um, and so it's so much of it is is rooted in, I think, um, you know, the desires of parents to, to push their kids in these kind of ways. And it's a real tough thing because, you know, it's hard. It's hard when you, when you see, for instance, like in Europe, in soccer or tennis, those kids are just going pro at 16. But right. like, if you're in a club and you're not good enough to make the next level at 16, they cut you loose. And so they're like, well, what are you going to do? Right. Uh, and a lot of those European kids who get cut loose end up in the States going to college, right. Or going to high schools to, to get their, you know, make sure they have a American transcript and then going to college to play after, you know, spending their whole youth career in these clubs. And so I don't know if that's a better situation. I just know that like all of this is still out of control. Right. 
Well, then there's the other model with like Sierra Canyon, right? Where where that's a legit rich people's kid, rich people's school, who all of a sudden are like, yeah, we're gonna have the best basketball school, right? And and yeah, and, but LA is like that, right? It's like it's like trans kids transferring everywhere, like every grade, you know what I mean? Ninth grade, tenth grade, instead of just sticking to it and being with your buddies, and I think. That's the other thing. I think you just missed something, right? Like there's, there's like you and your, you know, going back to your game with your friends, like you lose that because basketball is a business. Now, if you're really mm. good at sports, if you're really talented, it becomes a business at a young age. And I think you, you lose all the, the great things about sports, right? Um, because you, you want to get to that, that level. Um, and so you're going to like, you know, just change that kind of sense of normalcy that, that most kids have. Um, and that's and to me, that's what Bishop Sycamore was. But it was just there's those adults in this game too, right? Who yeah, who see this kind of AAU? They see the money being made from these coaches, and they want some of that too, right? And as someone pointed out, and it's true to me on on the twitters, um, right? There's people who are trafficking these kids, right? Like if you look yeah. at, let's, we're talking about AAU and basketball, right? Coming from Africa. A lot mm-hmm. of these kids are getting trafficked, right? They come in. If you're a foreign player, they take your their passport away, right? And all of a sudden, what are you going to do, right? You're living at someone's, you know, you're moving from house to house, living in someone's, you know, floor right. and, and, and at some fake school that they just created, right? Because they want to be able to get you to that college, right? They want to be able to get that money, that because, AAU money. Because the AU, there's an AU money because you're getting, uh, you know, for those who may not be aware, like you're getting a contract, like a shoe contract, right? Because the shoe companies are trying to get right. in with these good AU programs early so they can try to hopefully get a, a leg up when signing them if they become pros. So you're getting that money. But then there's also the other leverage where, like, you know, these some of these coaches are leveraging great players to get college jobs, right? Like that's yeah, that's part of that as well, right? Like you know, it's not unprecedented, especially in basketball, to say we're going to hire this AAU coach because that's going to bring a player or two or access to this great you know AAU program that's going to give us you know better players than we could recruit normally, right? I mean, this right. is how Michael Beasley gets to Kansas State. I was just about to say that. <laughs> Michael Beasley and Bill Walker there somehow. Somehow. Right. And they're like their coaches there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um right. But you know, Kansas did that with Danny Manning's dad too. That was awesome. Uh yeah. my 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 legit that's legit dream. What if your kid's so good that that they'll just they ain't hired me as a coach. They're just gonna bring me on as a professor. Like, oh, we, just, we just, got a just, we got a ten year track job for you. You associate <laughs> full professor. Oh, 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 oh. Full, full professor at Kansas. My bad. I mean, I mean, slight you. I slight you. Um, you know why? And why we're here talking about that money? Let's t- do. Can I just take another shot fired at Kentucky? Little Chris Mills, Dwayne Casey. Like I, I don't know what you're is. talking about. This. Oh, get out of here! Get out static, here. static, envelope, static, the, static. The envelope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it? Yeah, I mean, Kentucky's the one that that got everybody busted. But, but that's the whole thing, right? Like, you read those old books. You know, yeah. if you're a high school coach and you got the top player, you're getting twenty thousand just for the visit, right? What and and what's interesting to me is like the NILs are exposing all of this because yes. all this time. There was all this money. Think about this. Quarterbacks are getting a million dollar deals. Yes. That money was there last year. That money was there right. two years. Now it's above board. Right? Like yeah. it's like, oh, we'll just and and it's like right. The rich get richer. These schools who who always had the best alumni. Now yeah. they're just there. And it's just like, oh, we're gonna we're you know, here's a million dollar contract, right? And it's crazy how much money was I'm just, was exchanging hands. Uh, but now that it's legal, it was always legal, by the way. But now that it's not against these NCAA rules, how much more right. money there is, right? Because no one's afraid to get it busted. Well, I think the other issue, what it does is it brings in like businesses that are not affiliated with boosters, right? So like you're going to see the T-Mobile deal and we're going to see the Dr. The Pepper, do, the Beats deal and Dr. Pepper. Like those deals are not necessarily affiliated with boosters like the local, you know, what was this? That was it? Oh, I can't remember what the name of that store was in, in uh, Oxford, Mississippi, that was funneling money to players and stuff when they uh, when, uh, Ole Miss, yeah. when Ole Miss got in trouble a few years ago. But like when they were good. The yeah. one time they got good, <laughs> when like, they, under the Hugh Freeze's 
you know, uh, you know, when he was doing that thing. So, like, I think that there's something to be said about, like you said, the NIL is is exposing that. But I think, you know, this is good. I mean, at least the kids are going to get their their money. I think one of the things that's disingenuous is when people like, well, it's not going to be fair for the lower programs, right? Like, uh, and I was like, when were the lower programs, you know, pulling five-star players that didn't have some random connection to that school in the first place, right? Like whose dad or, you know, mom or dad didn't go to that school or who wasn't, you know, whatever local because they had like, you know, children that they needed to see on a regular basis. And so they wanted to stay local instead of going to the school six hours away you know like those are the real kinds of questions i think um you know the rich are still getting richer but like those little players are still going so it's not like it's not like them five-star guys were showing up all of a sudden at vanderbilt you know what i mean like no 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 no, no. vanderbilt got money vanderbilt got money they're just not they got they got different kind of money money yeah they got different kind of money right so no, um, but now it's to me it's just interesting when you see those deals. Um, and that's what everyone I know we started with Bishop Sycamore and here we are with NILs, because it's just so super interesting to me how much money's how much money's out there. And I, you know, I teach at a d- division school, the d- division two school, and there's no money, you know, <laughs> these guys aren't getting yeah. anything. Um, and I think they realize that. Um, but hey, maybe, maybe down the line there's gonna be something for them, right? Because it's not like there's not money out here. Um, you just got to figure it out. Like, do you want to be the really good D2 school? And do you want to tap into this kind of local, uh, just kind of local connections to try to get maybe, you know, someone that should have gone to Western Michigan or CMU, you got to get them here. So we'll see. I mean, I think that's really where the interesting thing is. Like, I think, you know, we spend so it's like when we talk about higher education and we only talk about Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, right? Like the rest of higher education is, is really much more diverse and interesting than, those five schools or whatever. Uh, and so when we talk about college sports, we only talk about this top 1%. But like you said, it's much more interesting to see, like, you know, can, you know, Grand Valley poach, you know, three or four players from Western Michigan or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that doesn't seem like a big deal, but that's a big deal at the Division Two level. Like when I right. was at, when I worked at, when I worked at Dartmouth and, um, one of the things that was really interesting was to see what the recruiting strategy was, right? Like, um, and I'm not telling any secrets here, I don't think, but like they were really good at obviously getting smart kids, but smart kids who had offers from Mac schools, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they had Kent State offers or Miami of Ohio offers or, you know, preferred walk-ons at, you know, some power five schools, Cause the preferred walk-on status was like, Hey, that kid's in state. He's got good athleticism, good size, but he's not at the caliber where we should be wasting a scholarship on them. Right. And right. Dartmouth is like, you, we don't have scholarships, but you get good financial aid and you get this Ivy league degree. And so if you're not going to, and you're going to play. <laughs> and I think it's an interesting. And I think that like, there's a, that level is really, where a lot of the action is, we always focus on the top end players, but you know, there's always a trickle down. And so the school that gets it figured out at that mid tier level and realizes that they can be competitive, even in the NIL, can they get their boosters together and be like, Hey, come to Montana. That's why North Dakota state and those kinds of places are going to be, who've been really good, have great boosters are going to be surprisingly good with NIL money. We're just going to, I think we're just going to have to wait and see what it looks like. Right. Right. No, you're right. Speaking about college football, time to yeah. smoothly or maybe not smoothly transition into the, the whole point in. of this. 20, 20 minutes in, 20 minutes in, we are transitioning. This weekend's a big weekend uh, as we talk about college football because not one, but two major HBCU games are on TV. And I don't know if our listeners know how rare that is, but <laughs> it, it is rare. And we're not just talking about like, BET games, right? Which they were. When was when was BET showing games? It's like a long time. Nineties, right? yeah, like eighties, nineties, right? Yeah, um, we're talking prime time ESPN. Um, and those games are the Hall of Fame game, the HBCU Hall of Fame game, which is weird because it's at Canton and not where the College Football Hall of Fame game is. So that's mm-hmm. I don't know. We got to get into that, but that's that's between 
Tennessee State and Grambling, and I think it's fair to say they probably have the most NFL players up until the 1980s. It, it's fair to say those two, tied with Notre Dame, I think had the most NFL players. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in 1980, they actually had 23 each, but they had more before that. And then you have Orange Blossom Classic, and if I get this right, Jackson State and FAMU. Yep. Yeah. 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 So let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. What do you want? Let's talk TV money first. Okay. And then we'll talk the 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 historicalness. I don't even know if that's a word as a historian. We'll just make it up the historicalness (laughs) of (laughs) of these great teams. Um but one of the things TV money to me what stands out and and normally up until this point, we saw uh HBCU game last week too, but up until this point, generally if we're seeing HBCUs on TV, it's the Southern Grambling or they're getting their butt kicked by Ohio State or something like that. It's the money grab game, right? Yes. And, and there's a reason. We've done this before in shows. We've written about it, uh, and there's a reason for this, and and that's because they were never really allowed to be on TV, and, and, and in a way, the NCAA Jim Crowed them. So if you guys don't know the history the NCA takes over TV contracts, I believe, in the 1950s, 1954. Mm-hmm. These HBCUs were affiliated with the NCA. And so what that meant, though, is that the NCA was negotiating TV contracts. They would never put these HBCUs on, right? Which if we look into to a team like Grambling, we've talked about this before, but they're playing this game. And that's why they're playing this Hall of Fame game, because they have Hall of Famers. Grambling mm-hmm. was legit in the 1960s a big time big time team right they're traveling they're playing in new york right at yankee stadium yeah. that game with morgan Sell State, selling yankee 60, stadium out. Sixty-two thousand people in that game they're going to tokyo uh playing the, they're playing you know in hawaii they're you know eddie robinson has that machine moving and they don't even get on tv until 1971 um and most teams don't get on until what the late seventies. I want to say like seventy nine when the one they, they, they had to start playing double A games, NCAA double A games, right? Um, mm-hmm. One double A games, right? And then they would only play a few, but still not. You're still competing with the other schools, right? And so mm-hmm. what you're the point is is that the NCAA is not putting them on, so they're not getting the money, they're not getting the exposure. Despite that, they're putting players. In the NFL, right? The mm-hmm. 1966 Tennessee State team, 10 players from that defense is in the NFL. Um, right. I believe by 19, I know we've said these stats before, but they're so crazy. Uh, Grambling, by 1969, Grambling had already produced 70 pro football players, right? Mm-hmm. And currently in the league in, in 1969, 34 were in there, right? So these are the teams that, that we're talking about. But anyway, when we're talking TV contracts, in the early eighties when the schools and the conferences bucked the NCA, right. And eventually in 84, win, yeah. in 84, they eventually win that lawsuit. They had the ability to make TV contracts. Right. And again, once again, these HBCUs are getting pushed out. Right. So when integration comes, they're not getting that opportunity to get that money, to get that exposure on top of never really getting state dollars. Right. If you're a public yes. institution, yeah, it's separate, but unequal. Right. And so they are always behind, the, I don't know if that's the correct term, the eight ball or whatever whatever people say, right? And so they never have that opportunity to build their infrastructure because they're not getting state dollars, right? They don't have that opportunity to build their infrastructure because they're not getting this TV money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so seeing them this last week and seeing them this week in these big games is a change. Now, I don't know if that TV revenue allows them to build the facilities to start attracting more and more players right um mm-hmm. to now all of a sudden you're you're competing with the big dogs because it's let's be clear in the 50s and 60s and even into the 70s right until integration completely takes over there's more talent there right it might not yeah. have more players might be, maybe they'd be able to win a game here or two if they played the big dogs, kind of like that Negro League stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. Negro Leagues would always say, like, we could win a few games. We could really compete in the major leagues because we just didn't have the depth that they had, right? Mm-hmm. We, didn't, we didn't have the coach. We didn't have depth. Maybe that's it there. But there's clearly more talent there, 
right? In, in total. Well, looking I mean, I think, time. you know, I think this is the, like, uh, Bomani Jones says this quite regularly, and I, and I want to credit because that's where I heard it from, uh, is that he would say that in the 60s and 70s, the SEC was a second tier conference in its own footprint. And, and what he means by that is that the SWAC in particular, the Southwestern Athletic Conference in which Grambling, Southern, Jackson State, Prairie View, those four teams in particular were outproducing the SEC schools in those same regions, right? You know, they're out, you know, Jackson State's outproducing Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Uh, Grambling is outproducing LSU, even though I know that's hard for people to fathom in this moment. Southern is outproducing LSU. Uh, and then when you throw Florida A&M, which is in the SIAC at the same time, they're, they are clearly, this is the, one of the big arguments I make in the book, right, is that they are better than Florida and Florida State and Miami from really from 1945 till 1969. They, you know, it's not until Gaither retires that you could see that the Florida and Florida State and Miami programs would be superior and even then, I think FAMU is probably going to still win, as they prove in 1978. They'll probably win, you know, 25% of the games. I think they win 60% of the games before that. And in, there's, in the early 60s, they're probably winning 75% of the games or more, right? Like, it's just that dominant. I think that's what – and I think that's the same thing you could say about Grambling. You could say the same thing about Southern and Prairie View at times. Jackson State, 74 uh, team has three Hall of Famers on it: Jackie Slater, Robert Brazil, and of course Walter Payton. Right? Like, you think Ole Miss wants to see that, right? Like, I think that that's right. the thing, right? Um, and I think the gap that we see now that we that we see in contemporary sports is um, uh, it, it's hard for us to imagine that that gap was considerably smaller, right? There's not nearly as much money in college athletics. When we think about facilities, everybody got, you know, blocking sleds and all that stuff. No one's got 10,000 square foot weight rooms. And, right. um, you know, they're not they trading table they have, but like they're not getting chefs and making sure calories and shakes, all that stuff that are part of modern football were not there. And so the gap was considerably, considerably smaller. Uh, and that's going to that would have allowed uh, HBCUs to compete. Um, and like you said, they might not have won every game, but they would have been highly competitive in any of those conferences, the Big 12 or the Big 8 in those days, the Southeastern Conference, uh, the ACC, any of those places. Right. And it, it, I think a great example for our listeners, we're talking about facilities. Look at Grambling, right? We just mentioned how great it was, top NFL prospects throughout, right? <laughs> From yeah. the, since Tank, Tank Younger. Right when he gets there, and the, and the reason why they're getting a lot of NFL prospects too is they tank younger is putting them, you know, getting them in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but just what? Oh my gosh, I'm so old, but it, it must have been like eight years ago. <laughs> they boycott because their facilities are so bad. Yeah, right? here's a, a a a storied institution, right? When it comes to 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 football and sports, and their players have to boycott because everything's so bad. The other thing, what's interesting, is like. They knew they were better, and the reason why I know this is because when you talk to the when you talk to I don't talk to when I read about these quarterbacks, right? And whether it's Joe Gillum who played at Tennessee State or Doug Williams, whenever it gets brought up, and they say, "Well, you know, you're from a small school, you're playing, you know, obviously you got to be playing inferior competition." They say, "No, we're not." Mm-hmm. Every time I'm going against someone, those guys are in the NFL, right? They're trying to yeah. make this point, right? When they're right. trying to say. When they're trying to say, ah, oh, you can't compete at the quarterback level, they're like, no, we play against NFL players, right? Those guys on the opposite side of the field, those guys that go against in practice, they're in the NFL, right? Just someone like a Joe Gillow, right? You look at those Tennessee yeah. State teams, like he's he's been he's put through the fire or Elders Dickey at practice. Right. Right. Everybody, like, you think about that, right? Dickey, who's there, he graduates, if you guys don't know, number one, our first round draft pick in the 68 draft right and by the Raiders I think he goes like 24 and 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 he's a quarterback but they you know it's Al Davis and and he wants him as just an athlete but again like I was saying that that 66 team 10 players on defense I believe the 67 68 team full-on 
defensive backfields going in the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. So this is who he's dominating against in practice, and people still don't think, well, he can do it in the NFL because he doesn't go to a Bama or an LSU. Um, who, by the way, the LSU picks off Terry Rubisky, right, from – who's a Louisiana guy who's supposed to probably go to either Grambling or Southern. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden now you're going to these schools, but what's happening is not that it's just integration. It's the pressure of integration, right? It's the, the governor coming to your school, right? Mm-hmm. It's probably boosters all of a sudden putting money in your pocket. And that's what, what's starting to get these guys in the South to stay in the South and not go, to Southern, not go to Grambling, not go to uh, Prairie View, but also not go to, to but also not right. go to Michigan State or not go to or, Michigan, or, State. Michigan right. or Ohio State. Like leave the South and go to one of the Big Ten schools that have had been successful in recruiting uh, in the South. Uh, the other part of that is too, and I and I and I again, you know, this is this is kind of my wheelhouse here. When we we, we should do a boxing episode so you could do your wheelhouse here. Nah, but, I don't. I'm I'm well versed in college. No, uh, but like one of the things that that's really clear is that it's not just integration at the collegiate level; it's really integration at the high school level. And one of the things I really try to take pains to do in, 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 the, in Blood, Sweat, and Tears is to talk a little bit about that the nature of recruiting. I try to denaturalize some of the ways in which we talk about Black, you know, like, we're like, oh, of course, Eddie, you know, Eddie Robinson had great teams. He had all the Black players as if Black players are somehow naturally better at football. And that he didn't have to recruit against Southern and Jackson State and prairie view to get those players at his institution right like some of this is about recruiting some of this is about development some of this is about coaching right like i think that's the part that gets overlooked um but that gets blown up in a lot of ways when at least in for florida and m it gets blown up in part because once schools get desegregated high schools get desegregated they close the black schools and when they close the black schools they fire the black coaches and and the black coaches don't go to the white high school. So the head coach is like, oh, you now, this is my star black player. You should go to oh, Florida. You should go to Georgia Tech. You should go to Texas. one of the no. Texas, right? Like this is what these white coaches are now pushing them towards. And the black coaches who had graduated from Florida A&M or who had graduated from Bethune-Cookman or Tennessee State, their their word in this new uh, in this new environment, this new relationship, does not carry the same kind of weight. And then they get the boosters who are like dropping, you know, $100 handshakes and who are, um, you know, showing up uh, with fancy vehicles and picking them up on and putting them on airplanes to fly right. them to their campus and all that kind of stuff. Right. Now, who are those real quick? Let's test your, since this is your wheelhouse, who are those three brothers, the brothers that went to Oklahoma? I know the Bucks straps are coming up. Uh, is it, uh, the Selman brothers, is that who you're talking about? Oh, no. look at that, look at that, something like that, yeah, 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 from like this tiny, 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 tiny place in Oklahoma. What was the 30 for 30? Of... This is so bad. The 30 for 30 about that, uh, about the guy who they recruited who was the best player, ended up in Oklahoma, but uh, did not do. I gotta, I'll look. Oh, up. Marcus Dupree, yes, you're the best that never or ever was, never was, was, yeah, never was, was. Yeah, 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 yeah. From uh, I believe he's from Philadelphia, Mississippi, right? The same yeah. place of uh, Schwarner, Goodman, Cheney. I think they talk about that, right? I, I caught the tail end of it. Um, but yeah, you're right when you talk about the integration because they have a white guy talking about him, right? And it's just like one of those things, right? Like he's the best, <laughs> you know. But that's what happens. Like these guys go to these schools. Um, and you're right. Like even, you know. You guys, I'm researching this black quarterback book, but um, <laughs> you know, guys like you know, guys like um, Vince Evans, right? He's from the South, and and you know, from a young age, he's going to a, he's getting bused to a white school, and this is in the sixties. Right? He's the first generation of those guys. You know, mm-hmm. Vince winds up going to. We talk about how TV makes a big deal. Vince and a lot of guys want to go to USC because that's they see OJ and stuff. Like Vince talks about this Jimmy Jones who winds up, he's the black quarterback that winds up beating uh, Alabama in 70. He's from Pennsylvania, right? Um, he's talking about, you know, seeing OJ and stuff like that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, these All these people see OJ on TV because that's the guy they don't see. They don't get to see Grambling um, right. in, the, in, in the games. They, they see OJ. They read about Doug or they hear about Doug. 
Um, but that's it, right? And and Vince winds up going to California. He was supposed to sign HBCU, but he's like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm going. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to California. Right. Um, right. And that's it. That's that's the thing. Now, Doug, I believe Doug goes to all black school. It's just the politics of the South. And I think one one white guy, I think he mentions it in, in his book, Black Quarter Black. He calls it black. Uh, he calls it Quarter Black. His is his autobiography. Uh, one white guy goes there. Um, but you know, nobody really is paying attention to those schools locally. Another, a book that does a good job of this is, is Thursday night lights. Um, if you're, oh, yeah. if you're Michael into, book, right. Texas. If you're yeah. into this kind of stuff, the, the lot of black colleges, but really black high school sports in Texas, in Houston. And then he does a good job of, of that, that transition, right. In what mm-hmm. happens with integration. Um, Cause all those guys are, are staying home or, or they're going to, um, black colleges. They're going to H black colleges, and then Eldridge Dickey is from Houston, Texas. Eldridge, uh, well, Eldridge was supposed to go. The Lord's Prayer was supposed to go to Houston, right? Like he was initially supposed to go to what T Texas T-S- Southern, right? Texas Southern. That doesn't work out, and then he was going to go to Houston, right? By that, and Houston by that time, I don't know if we talked about it on the pod, but they're well into their integration phase, right? Because yeah, they're, they're like an they're, early mover, right? Because those small schools are the ones who take the chance first, right? So a school like Houston, that's how they get uh, Elvin Hayes. That's, um, I believe they go Don Chaney too in basketball. Mm-hmm. But in football, they got Warren McVay, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and Warren McVay is like the top running back in the state. Um, and But they they realize that in order to compete with the big dogs, they got to start integrating early. Mm-hmm. Um, so Houston... I mean, it's crazy to think about. They're they're recruiting Eldridge, who who was the top high school quarterback in Houston. But still, if you're Tennessee State at that time, you could beat Houston in a recruiting battle because you're Tennessee State, and you got. Let's talk about him now. You got probably the best recruiter ever. Yeah, um, John. Merritt, you got come the on. best. The- you got the best D coordinator ever, right? Like, yeah. Like John Gill Gillum's the best D coordinator. He's probably the best D coordinator ever. Like in in all of college football, we talk about Tennessee State. He's putting tons and tons of pros guys out there. His son winds up wanting to be the best quarterback ever, and 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 you know he busts out. He has some. He has some some demons eventually with drugs, and I think it's just the pressure of being the black quarterback, and then the racism he has to face, but. Oh, mm-hmm. let's talk about the greatest recruiter ever. Go ahead. No, John Mayer was, was the guy. He would show up, man. He could he could talk you he could talk you out of your your commitment anywhere, man. He he'd tell your mom, then he'd forget your name. That was a thing that that was always famous. He would be like, you know, Joe Gillum. The Gillum would as the D coordinator would know all the players, and 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 Coach Merritt get up there and be like, "Boys, we need to go out and win." And he was one of the interesting things because he had all that personality, all that flash. But he also didn't really mesh well with them older black coaches, right? So there's, you know, him and Eddie Robinson were kind of oil and water because Eddie Robinson's clean cut. Like, we got to do this. And if you don't make it, nobody's going to make it. And Jay Gaither was the same way. Uh, him and John Merritt didn't necessarily love each other. Uh, and uh, and so I think that one of the things that Merritt is most famously known for, in addition to the great players that they produce at Tennessee State, is that he's very much a modern, like when we think about that classic HBCU, the golden age, John Merritt's one of the great modern guys who really transitions in and doesn't get enough credit. And honestly, doesn't get enough credit for being both an innovator and, you know, and allowing his team to be innovative, passing the ball, high flying offense, but also really one of the better promoters of the, of his team in a moment when integration happens. And some of that's unique. He's in Nashville, um Vanderbilt has never been good to be honest and so that's you know as an institution wasn't necessarily a challenge they um there used to be a University of Tennessee Nashville that closed that allowed for Tennessee State to thrive right this is one of the byproducts of so like they did not necessarily have a white public institution as direct competition in their town so that allowed them to do certain kinds of things in uh in Nashville so but Merritt was able to take advantage, and that's how he, you know he had all these connections. He had coached at Jackson State, so he knew the Deep South. He had he had connections at all those schools in Houston, uh, and so they were very much a, a, a broader regional recruiting program than like Florida A and M was. Like we, if you wasn't in South Georgia or Florida, 
or and occasionally Pittsburgh or Ohio because someone sent you down there, then you didn't get you didn't you weren't on the radar. <laughs> right. Well, well, the other thing about them, which which is so remarkable, um, is that they go if I if I'm not mistaken, they go D one. Tennessee State does go D one at, at some point. I believe in 1980 they go. They go like nine and one, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're I think if I'm not mistaken, they're the they're, they're the one, the only school who tries to go D one in college football. Um, well, there's a year, there's mistaken. a year in the '70s before one double A is fully realized as a category. There's a year with Grambling, Tennessee State, I think Southern, and like three other schools all go D one. But it's only for a year. So it's probably like 76 or 77. Uh, and then uh, and then the NCAA, because there's this, much like now, right, there's this this threat by the top tier two schools to leave the NCAA. They're like, all right, well, let's try to create a new mechanism to limit the spreading of the money around for all 300 and some odd teams. And so they create a new division, one double A. They're trying to push kids, you know, push some programs that were in the bottom of one division one into division two. And that's where they put all the requirements. And so the thing that hurts black colleges is in that very moment that you had to have like 15 athletic programs. Right. Right. To be a division one. And you had to have a stadium that seated so many people and you had to have all this infrastructure already part of your program. And that meant that, you know. While uh, that put like a school like Grambling, who did not have the same kind of infrastructure as Tennessee State, uh, it put them behind the eight ball. The Tennessee State and Jackson State were on the front end because Jackson State played at Memorial Coliseum, which is a city owned facility where they still play now, which I think holds like 50 some odd thousand. So they have that. Tennessee State played in a city owned facility, Hale Stadium on the on the edge of their campus, which holds, I think, thirty five thousand. Um, but a lot of schools, Bragg Stadium for a long time only held like ten or twelve thousand, ten or fifteen thousand, and so it was a lot of these schools that were really good did not even make the state meet the stadium requirements needed to be in Division One. Mm. Look at that! Look at Look that history! At that. Look at that history! Just just off the top of your dome. Speaking about history, the other game besides the Hall of Fame game, and I don't even know if we're getting to why the Hall of Fame is attached to the NFL, not the College Football Hall of Fame, but it's the Orange Blossom Classic. And you are, I mean, I mean, are you're like the leading expert on HBCU, but definitely on the Orange Blossom Classic. So do you want to feel it? I know we've done it before, but so. Yeah, so no. I, yeah, so this week, smoke. this week, this week, Florida A&M is in Miami to play Jackson State. Deion Sanders-led Jackson State. Uh, football team. And I think this is a really important moment because the Orange Blossom Classic for from really like 1947 to the mid-1970s was the definitive HBCU Classic. And I know that gets it rubs people the wrong way because people who love the Black, the Bayou Classic, but the Bayou Classic did not begin until 1976. Uh, and the Orange Blossom Classic began in 1933, initially in Jacksonville. FAMU at the time was not very good, but they were able to convince teams to come down. These intersectional games, uh, in part because it's Florida and it's de- the first weekend in December. And for several years, they played all across Florida. They played in Jacksonville, they played in Tampa, they played in Orlando, in some you know in a wide variety. But in 1947, the alumni came together and. Uh, petitioned uh, the city of Miami to allow one game in which black people could attend because they were segregated. They couldn't even go to the Orange Bowl uh, to play. And eventually the city uh, allowed them to do this one game first Saturday in uh, December. And this becomes the Orange Blossom Classic in beginning in 1947. Uh, uh, Nathaniel Traz Powell catches the first touchdown pass and a 7-0 victory in the first game in Miami. And it's a fantastic game. And so as FAMU under Jay Gaither beginning in 1945 becomes one of the dominant programs, the the Orange Blossom Classic functions as a national championship game. So almost year in and year out, it's FAMU versus someone's going to determine the national title. Um, 
it's because Florida A&M is undefeated or they got one loss and they're the best team in the SIAC. And when we talk about desegregation, like two things happen to the Orange Blossom Classic. First, the NFL expansion expands into the city of Miami. And so now the Orange Bowl has a permanent tenant. And if you know anything about professional football in the early 1970s, the Miami Dolphins are a thing. This is where they become a thing. Like they go to the Super Bowl, they go undefeated, they do all these things. Uh, and, you know, the playoffs are being played in early December. There's this huge controversy in, I want to say, 70, in 72 or 73, in which the Dolphins are supposed to play the Baltimore Colts in a key game, on, uh, and they won it on a Saturday like they do at the end of the season. And uh, Jay Gaither, who's the athletic director and retired as coach, is like, you know, we got a contract for a game that day. (laughs) And and they were like so mad that they couldn't get this game in because it's supposed to be on national television. It was huge. Uh, And and that really undermines a lot of uh, the Orange Blossom Classic. And then eventually desegregation really forces Florida A&M to not schedule it on the first Saturday in December. Uh, and by 1979, uh, the game kind of just falls off. They brought it back a few other times, but it hasn't been really successful. And so now this year they brought it back. There's been a massive campaign. They were supposed to bring it back last year, but COVID derailed that. Uh, and this is a fantastic moment to do an early season classic to really revive the Orange Blossom Classic. It's on television on ESPN2. I had to look this up. They aren't paying me for this. ESPN2 uh, yeah. on Sunday. Uh, I believe at 3.30, and I think that this is a great opportunity. It's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be fantastic for a couple of reasons, not just for the historic reasons, but I think Dion is bringing a lot of attention to HBCU football. People, I think there's two folks. There's there's a group of folks who want to see him succeed, and there's other people who want to see him fail. I think, you know, that's a that always brings tell eyes to the game. Uh, and then, two, I just think that, like, Jackson State has talked a lot of stuff uh, and Dion has talked a lot of stuff, and I think that the teams uh, in the SWAC, which now includes uh, Bethune Cookman and Florida A&M, are going to have to be out to, to show some things that you know Dion didn't take too well to spring football when teams were showing his picture with the Jerry <laughs> curl after he lost, and he's like, "That's unprofessional. You can't get in there talking all that big stuff and then not get in the SWAC. Um, you know, you can't you can't be on the road." and not expect the band to play over your signal calls, right? I mean, this is the right. kind of the, the thing. And so I think this first, this this fall season will be really interesting to see how he handles it. Uh, and this Orange Blossom Classic is going to be a, a, a fantastic showcase uh, that both links the history uh, of Florida A&M uh, with the present. And I think it's going to, it's a great opportunity. And it's on national television. And it's like the only game on, on Sunday at 3.30, uh, ahead of the Notre Dame Florida State game that comes on that evening. Well, I, I am shocked that you're not down there selling books out your trunk. Like this is so this is I'm, I had a plan. I, 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 so I I'm not going to front. I had I had sent a lot of feelers out in the spring to do it, um, and had gotten an opportunity to do it, and then COVID in Florida is a is a bit crazy right now. Though I'm not going to front. We're still in a pandemic. Yeah, they're playing the game. I, they are playing the game. Going. Was, I know. Are fans I know. Going? The fans are going, but that don't mean I got to go. Man. Man. Man, you probably just lost. I probably lost. I just lost like thousands Jeez. of book sales. Thousands of book sales. Thousands. So let's, hope, let's, let's hope it's a good game, and then they decide to run it back next year with right. a little better COVID right. protocols. Somebody's probably printing the cover of your book and putting it on a T-shirt right now. I've been saying, That's no cut. Side of the game. That's it. No, it's going to no be like cut. Jake Gaither at the chalkboard. I'm saying. That is, it, that is a sweet cover, too, by the way. Like, if, if you listeners, if you haven't got it, or at least – the very least, look at the cover so you can say, "Oh, yeah, that is a sweet cover." It's pretty, fa- yeah, it's, it's pretty fantastic. Cool. I had the cover nice. on the book proposal. Yeah, I knew what Did I knew you? what the yeah I had the book proposal oh, with the picture. I knew what I wanted uh, from the beginning. But you didn't do the colorway, right? Like they did. No, no, they did the color. They did the color, but I knew the photo that I wanted on the cover was that one. And I yeah. just I, the That's only true. advice I said to him was like, "Look, 
it can't come back with like, it's got to have green or orange in it because I can't have these FAMU folks mad at me with some other color scheme. And so <laughs> <laughs> they came back with that. And so I was I was extremely pleased with the folks at UNC Press. They did a great job. Yeah, no, it is a nice it is a nice cover. It's a great book too, everybody. It's a great it's a it's a great book. So make sure you get it. Who's gonna win the game? Oh, I'm taking Florida A and M. I think Florida. A&M, I mean, I think Jackson State may have a little bit more talent. Um, Florida A and M is going to be interesting because they got to break in a new quarterback. Um, but you know, Florida A and M that's a home game for FAMU, dude. That's Jackson State's right. going to travel well, but you know, there's like a hundred thousand. There's a hundred thousand rattlers in South Florida alone. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's it's going to be a lot of excitement. And so I think it'll be interesting to see if they can pull it off. I think I'm a guy, I'll take FAM. I think it, it'll be good. Um, I like FAM's defense. They got a couple players who, who are all conference, all, all, all MEAC, now going to be all swag. One guy's going to get drafted uh-huh. in the NFL. Is Dion's right? That's interesting you say that because none got drafted last year, right? No HBCU players got drafted. Yeah, if I'm correct. Uh, which yeah. is crazy, right? Thinking about how much they dominated. Is Dion's boy playing? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I don't know if he's a starter, but he got his beat. I saw the Beats commercial yesterday uh, on the Twitter. Yeah. Oh, it's on. It's official commercial. Yeah. Yeah, they had like the band, a band mock up with you could you couldn't quite use the Jackson State, so we had the Jackson State colors and the band. Oh, they haven't. So the Jackson State hasn't done what, um, like Ohio State and UNC is doing, right? Where you can actually use their stuff, which is interesting. Oh, really? Okay. I haven't seen well, that. Well, why? No, because Ohio State, like you could, like the player, the NIL can, you can get Ohio State on it now too. Right, oh, so you, but you Ohio just gotta State, pay the but you just gotta pay the licensing yeah, think, from. That's what I'm guessing too, right? It comes yeah. with it, right? So it's not just a player, uh, unlicensed player with you know lightness colors or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so but a lot of schools don't want to. I think the schools are trying to. It depends on the it depends on the sponsor because they don't want to be like they have they don't want conflicting sponsor. Right. 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 I do know that. Yeah. That's money. That's money. I know these schools know their money. Any, yeah, any, know. any, anything else? Anything else? I just want. The oh no! You brought up I'm... real quickly. I want to before we get out of here. Oh. I, you talked about how you know the Hall of Fame game, which is uh, Grambling at Tennessee State, is being played in Canton, and why that is. And I think that part of one of the things that uh, Doug Williams and 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 some colleagues of his were really instrumental in getting in creating the Black College Football Hall of Fame, which was initially based in Atlanta, but they never had a facility. So they were raising money. They were honoring players, but they weren't really putting them in a quote-unquote Hall of Fame like Springfield or Canton or college football is in uh, Atlanta now. And uh, because of Doug Williams' relationship with you know pro football, both the uh, Washington football team uh, as well as the NFL offices, uh, they've worked out a thing with uh, the NFL Hall of Fame where they've got their players in a wing, I believe, of the college – I mean, of the NFL Hall of Fame. And that's why this game's being played in Canton, Ohio. And so this is the – I believe the third season that they've done this game. Um, but – so this is a big deal. It's a good thing. And 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 it's going to be a good game as well. Obviously, you got two great programs. And Eddie George – I want. I don't want to slight Eddie George. That's right. Is Eddie George is the head – Yeah, is his first game as head coach at Tennessee State. Uh, please don't do three three yards in a cloud of dust. Please. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Please. Like, I don't know. Please I don't, don't. I, I don't know. Like, at least we got a little – like, a little insight of what Dion was going to do last year. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Eddie George does this week Dion that's great that we end the show with Dion because and we started with uh, Bishop Sycamore because yeah I'm calling Dion's school just like Bishop Sycamore but whatever. oh the that's prime a, prep a, was that what it was called prep, whatever prime academy he prime academy yeah uh, yeah it was definitely yeah. That. it was definitely that in was, the same vein of was, the yeah yeah <laughs> but and then all of a sudden he's, hey, he's at college now though I think he got his he got a little quick degree um from where did he get his degree from with know. the bathroom, he got a quick online degree, right? So he can be able oh. to coach college. Um, oh yeah, he had yeah. just finished like a month before. So 
No, I'm, I, it's good. It's good. Excited. I got literally nothing on the docket. I got to maybe do some prep, maybe do some work, but it's going to be fun to like sit down and watch some football and, and, and ignore my kids for a while. So I'm looking forward. I'm going to front. I'm not going to front. This is my wife uh, who loves me quite, quite dearly. This is the one weekend that I, I don't get a lot of flack on. I'm like, look, we don't have no kids soccer games. You don't? Oh, because no. it's Labor Day? Because it's Labor oh. Day. And wow. you're we, lucked out. You know, it's like I'm I'm gonna watch I'm I'm currently watching Ohio State uh, up seven in the fourth quarter right now. Uh and you know, that's what I'll do. I'll watch football tomorrow and then Saturday all day I'll I'll watch the HBCU games. I'll watch my alma mater, the University of Maryland, take on West Virginia. Which, Is that a win or a loss? It's a win, and if it's a loss, it's going to be a bad – like when we beat West Virginia, we have good seasons, I would just say. But yeah. West Virginia has won nine of the last ten against us, uh, and so it's been very painful, to be honest, uh, over the last ten. But I think this is a team – I think we're going to be – I think we're going to win. It's going to be close, but I think we'll, we'll yeah. win. We're at home, uh, and so I'll take us wow. at home. They don't throw batteries. Wow. They throw batteries at you when you play in West Virginia. It's like you gotta keep your helmet on on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> um, you still got two of us, brother? Yeah, we still got we got a quarterback. So as long as he's healthy, I feel like we got a chance. We got some good wide receivers. You know, I'm worried about our offensive line, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but we got some guys returning, so they weren't, you know, they were okay last year. Um uh, defensively, I think we're gonna be really good. We got some good DBs returning a lot of defensive linemen who who played good in spots last year. We're going to be all right. We're not going to be, you know, we ain't going to beat Ohio State, you know, and we're we're underdogs tomorrow, but if if you are uh interested in gambling, I would I would look at that line and take Maryland with whoa, whoa, three for three three points. We do not give gambling tips here. We do not give We don't give gambling, gambling tips, tips. but yeah. I'm just telling you what I think. This is this is me. I'm a homer though. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and yeah. then the University of Kentucky plays Louisiana Monroe. That's the will should win easy. Are you looking for any games this weekend? Oh, real quick, let's talk because this is week one. HBCU Hall of Fame game. Go ahead. Yeah, Tennessee what? State or Grambling? Who are you taking? Uh, Grambling. I don't know if Tennessee State, I don't know Eddie George's first game. This is his first game at yeah. probably any level. I don't know if he's ever coached before. I don't know if he's ever coached. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be exciting to watch that. Uh, yeah, this is Clemson, Georgia. Yeah. Who you got? Clemson. I don't, uh, do they ever lose in the regular season? Like, I mean, Georgia's the most talented team, even in, in the country. They're always the most talented team. Like, but they are cursed, right? They ain't won since Herschel yeah. Walker. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Since Dominique Wilkins was walking on that campus. Oh man. Um, is that yeah. that's I know we got to go listeners, but can we be clear that that Herschel Walker and Dominique Wilkins on the same campus at the same time is the greatest thing that ever happened. <laughs> it tops it tops any combination. It tops any combination you could throw at two sport combination. Any of them. Really? So I don't, I don't even know if Jordan Lawrence Taylor was there. It tops it. Tops it. What what was Charles Barkley and Bo Jackson at the same time? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. No. Top set too. Okay. Fair enough. We'll let you have that one. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate Uh, that. Florida State, Notre Dame. Who you got? Uh, Does Florida State still have a football team? Like, I don't. Has this coach not been ran off? Uh, I'm going uh, Notre Dame. Brian Kelly. Oh, you're going Notre Dame. I think that's probably the right move there because I can't imagine. They win in the regular season and then they, they face like really good teams and it's like, you know. Yeah. Nah, yeah. So we're going to follow up. Uh, who's going to win our fantasy football matchup? Me. I got Me. Lamar Jackson. Did you see where Just J.K. Me. Dobbins tore his ACL, my running back? Yeah. Did you see this? I, yeah, I got, that's your running back? Yeah, I'm already struggling. What round did you get him? I got him I got him in a good in a good spot, like round four. But now it oh, doesn't matter. Wasted a pick. Gone. That doesn't uh, matter at all now. <laughs> yeah. But that's what we talked about last week. And I, and this is the last thing we'll say because I know listeners are like, are they really having a conversation? Well, yes, because we can see each other now <laughs> on, on this platform that we have. So we're literally having a conversation like we can see each other. But what we talked about last week is that with fantasy football, you no longer really care about it. I'm not saying you don't, but when someone gets injured, our first thought is like, damn, is he on my fantasy team, right? Instead, like, damn, that sucks. Like, the young guy, 
in his second year. Uh, really good. Probably one of the top top young talents out there, right? At at, at that position to to lose a year. Uh, but this is fantasy, so now it's like, oh man. Now I'm you scrambling know. for a right. running back. Right. But we'll see. Uh, anything else? No. Uh, last thing, I just bought a whole box of um, 1991 score football cards. 36 packs. So I'll probably do a pack. You know, I'm not going to even do a pack a day. When I get bored, I'll, I'll just open up a pack of cards, right? It's 10 bucks, right? For 36. <laughs> and they were selling the Lucy's for like a dollar a pack. I was like, well, why don't I just buy a whole box? And then I'll open them when I want to open them. So I opened three today already. Now, I just want Warren Moon, Randall Cunningham, but I've got another little Christian O'Clarie. Uh, I believe the rookie in that, the main rookie in that box is Brett Favre. Um, the people at the car store is telling me it's like the 89 box is the hard one, right? Because that's got the Barry Sanders rookie, um, someone else's rookie. It's got D, I think it's got Dion and Barry Sanders rookies in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so those boxes can run a lot because you're trying to get those rookies. But, you know, cards aren't worth anything anymore. I just like being a kid and opening them up. And then, you know, I'll probably eventually think of ways to cut them up for card art. So you should uh, you should uh, um, unbox them, open them up on your own, get your YouTube page. And then, I do because I'd be the only I, one in that space. <laughs> Cause, cause, yeah. cause our, you know, I know we had kids, so our kids were like, I'm like, are you watching someone else open? Oh my God. I can make like, so I don't even understand. Like I don't understand how that's a yeah. thing. Like, how is that yeah. a thing? Only so, adults will watch me open up old packs of cards. <laughs> so yeah. Exactly. And their kids would get mad at them. Their kids are like, what are you watching? Why are you watching them? Open he gets this paid to open cards. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All right, man. All right, let's get out of here. On that note. All right, peace. Peace.